You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning me in. Joining me now in studio is Laura Weber-Davis, a producer here at Detroit Today, for the beginning of what we hope will be a pretty regular segment on environmental issues here on Detroit Today. Laura, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate you, you uh, <laughs> allowing me to come into the studio, especially because I... Um, you know, I come up, I follow environmental issues and environmental reporting pretty closely just as a consumer of media. But I am no expert, uh, just a very interested party. Um, so I find that I have a lot of environmental questions, whether there's something that happened regionally or globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I turn to a, a friend of the show, Nick Schreck. He's mm-hmm. a professor of environmental law here at Wayne State University. I turn to him a lot to ask him random questions about the environment. Now, he can't answer every single little detail, but he often <laughs> gives me good guideposts. Yeah. Um, so I decided that maybe other people were having some of the same random questions that I was having about things happening around us here in Metro Detroit. And one way to think of this might be as curiosity for the environment. Right, right? but just specifically out of my <laughs> p- potentially twisted brain. It's only it's only Laura's <laughs> curiosity. Exactly, my curiosity <laughs> about the environment. Yeah, right. So this time I asked Nick to come in and I wanted to ask him about butterflies because I think that there is something going on with the butterfly population, but I'm not really sure what it is. So here's my conversation with Nick Shrek. So, Nick, I bring you here today because I feel like this summer and in summers more recently, I have seen fewer butterflies in my backyard or at my parks in my neighborhood than I did as a child. And I don't know if I'm actually seeing fewer butterflies or if I just think I'm seeing fewer butterflies because I've read reports that the monarch population has been suffering in recent years. So what do we know about how species, specifically how how bug species are being affected by our environmental changes? Well, that's that's a great question and a fascinating question. And this is really, it's often hard to separate, you know, anecdotally what we see in our own lives from what might be happening on a global scale or a statewide scale. So I think kind of breaking apart your question in, into a couple parts would be useful. You're not the only person to notice that, or to at least think that monarch populations might be declining. In fact, a few years ago, the Fish and Wildlife Service was petitioned to consider listing monarch butterflies as an endangered species. Whoa. So our federal government right now is in the process of reviewing all this data, all this information to look at whether in fact monarchs are not only declining, but whether or not they might be a threatened or endangered species that will be listed on our Federal Endangered Species Act list. So, Nick, maybe we should speak with somebody who has looked specifically at monarchs and their populations. That's a great idea. I mean, I don't know how you, you count monarchs on any, any scale other than, oh, I see one in my backyard. All right, let's turn to Michigan State University. My name is Elise Zipkin, and I'm assistant professor at Michigan State University in the Integrative Biology Department. Tell us about where your research began. Um, So I'm a quantitative ecologist, and my background is in math, and I kind of became interested in questions related to conservation and population dynamics. And the monarchs have such an interesting um, life history strategy where they complete this, you know, huge migratory cycle, continental migratory cycle, um, you know, all the way up from from Mexico to the United States up to uh, southern Canada, and that's just such an interesting phenomenon. So that's just kind of captured my eye. And then, of course, um, 
there's a lot of evidence that monarchs are declining. So kind of those things together, that interesting life history and then um, the declines on the monarch really caught my attention and got me started working on them. So we do know that the monarch population is declining. Yes. Yeah, so monarchs, so the way that we know that is because every year um, in when the monarchs are in Mexico during the winter, uh, researchers down there um, collect data on how much area the monarchs occupy. So that's like a proxy for the abundance of the population. And um, they've been doing that, I think, since our mid-90s. And what we've seen in the last about 17 years is a pretty stark decline uh, in monarchs in their um, wintering grounds in the um, OML forest in Mexico, in central Mexico. So when you say area, what are you? how much area are you talking about? Are you talking about a few square miles, a few hundred square miles? Um, well, do you want me to look up the exact amount? It's about <laughs> hectares. The peak was about 1995 or 96 at about 18 um, hectares occupied by monarchs. And then it's gone down to as low as about um, less than two, you know, like wow. one and a half or even one in 2013. And then it's rebounded slightly, the population, but it's still pretty, pretty low. So you can see that that's a huge decline. Well, even at, at its peak, 1995 is not that long ago in my mind. Right. That I mean, we are already see, seeing effects of climate change, whether or not we were discussing it in the mid-90s. Uh, so why would that have been the peak and now we're at such a crazy low? Right. So that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so I think the interesting thing about monarchs, because they have this huge migratory cycle, they occupy so many areas across the continent that they have all these risk factors, and that's really different than a lot of other um, populations, right? So there's all these potential drivers that could be causing the decline. So people have focused a lot on recently um, glyphosate applications, so that's um, herbicides to crops uh, in the Midwest, which is a huge area for their breeding grounds. And that's Roundup, right? Yeah, that's Roundup, that's right. Um, and so that what what happens is so they plant all these plants that are resistant to um, herbicide and then they can just spray all those kind of crops everywhere and milkweed which is the um, plant that that monarchs must use for their breeding is in between these rows of these row crops and so they get sprayed and then so all like where milkweed used to be really abundant there's kind of a huge loss of milkweeds and so because that that's one hypothesis for why um, monarchs are declining, that they have a loss of milkweeds. But there's a couple other that are that could be really important. So the other one that kind of we've shown in our lab is that, um, as you just said, climate climate change is a big can be a big factor. So we have found that climate conditions in the spring in Texas, as the monarchs move up in their surrounding areas in Texas and the surrounding areas, um, can be really important for what the subsequent population looks like later during the summer in the Midwest. And, and just to help me understand, so these monarchs, when they arrive in Texas, and you talk about climate, so whether it's, it's rainy, you know, wet or dry, wh what does that, how does that impact the monarchs? I mean, are they not right. able to reproduce or do they have you know, fewer eggs? You know, what, what does that actually mean to them? So that's, uh, we don't really know. Unfortunately, we can't estimate that 
Exactly, at a population level. But here's what we see. So the, the monarchs are overwintering in Mexico, and at the end of the winter in March, then they, they kind of like wake up, and then they fly north. And they fly to about Texas and kind of the surrounding areas there, and then they have their first generation of uh, the first generation is produced. So those monarchs that fly up from Mexico, then they die. And the ones that are produced, so they lay their eggs on um, milkweed, and then they become larvae, so they have all these different instar stages. And then they grow up and become monarchs. And when they um, become butterflies, they move further up north than um, into the Midwest. And then they do this a few more times, so they have about three or four generations total as they're moving north, as far north as even um, you know, southern Ontario. And then at the very end of the summer, the monarchs enter what's called reproductive diapause, which means they kind of shut down their reproduction organ, organs and then they use any fuel that they have to fly all the way back down um, to Mexico. So that last generation in the summer makes it all the way um, down to Mexico. It spends the winter down there, late summer or early fall. So it's like um, a multi-generational yeah. road trip. Yes, <laughs> yes. And it's really interesting. I mean, I don't even know if there's other organisms that that do it like that. And it, what's also, I think, really interesting is that they have, you know, the different generations have really different um, life history strategies. When, when they're coming up into Texas at that first time, what we have found is that warmer Texas springs and then springs that have less precipitation tend to equal to lower abundance of monarchs later in the summer in the upper Midwest. And what we say is that, you know, they need a certain amount of drawing degree days to become um, a monarch. So what we think happens when it's too hot is that, um, they, yes, they can get their growing degree days, but they can also have what's called lethal degree days. Uh, if it's above a certain temperature, then what we find is that um, the instars will just die. So we don't know the exact mechanism of why, you know, there's this kind of optimal amount of degree days. Um, you know, you don't want too few and you don't want too many in Texas over that time. But if you don't get kind of in that narrow range, what we see is, you know, less, basically less monarchs. Uh, so, so if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like there's a real risk if we have increased higher an increased number of higher temperature days Correct. in Texas in the spring that could have some pretty dramatic impacts on subsequent monarch populations in the Midwest. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what happens is if we hit those lethal degree days and especially if we hit them, you know, kind of over time, um like we have multiple um, very, very hot days, then what we can see is that the the larva won't be able to survive and they'll die. So it might be that I'm it might be that actually that I am seeing fewer butterflies, but it might also be that because I've always lived in a uh, an urban type setting that I wasn't ever really seeing that many butterflies to begin with. And it's always been special for me to see a butter, a monarch butterfly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but anecdotally, I have heard a lot of other entomologists and, um, you know, monarch experts say that, yes, they feel that they see less monarchs, you know, just kind of everywhere. I think that's some of the reason why, you know, there's so much interest on monarchs and on estimating monarch populations, because in addition to kind of the data that we have in Mexico, where we know that the population is declining, people also see, feel that they're declining when they look at them, you know, up north. 
So when we when we talk about what the average or the citizen uh, researcher can do to promote a good and healthy atmosphere and, and um, uh, habitat, really, for monarch butterflies, what can the average person do? So people can plant milkweeds, but I highly recommend planting native milkweeds. So you should common milkweed um, is pretty good, you know, certainly in Michigan and across most of the breeding area for monarchs. But then there are other um, native species, milkweed species, and so people should look up, you know, kind of what, um, and there are websites that, that have this information. Look up, um, you know, what are the local native milkweed species? Because one of the other issues that I didn't get a chance to mention yet um, is that exotic milkweeds can be a problem for monarchs too. So if I did plant a regional milkweed in my yard or allowed one to grow in my yard, is there a possibility that the monarchs then that grow in southeast Michigan could make it all the way back down to Mexico? Yes. Yes, definitely. So yes. that that's what we reproduce here in Michigan is strong, <laughs> globe-trotting monarchs. Yeah. we. I mean, we might be reproducing some that go up further north, but yes, definitely. I mean, if you're seeing them now, yeah, we're we're producing ones that are on their way back down to um, Mexico for sure. So we, we could, we could be producing some that still head North, but we're definitely also producing some that, um, are headed to Mexico. Well, thank you so much, Elise. I really appreciate it. No problem. Hearing Elise talk about the population, maybe rebounding in the slightest way since 2013 or coming, you know, not decreasing since 2013, but maybe, uh, a little bit better over the past couple of years. Does that give you hope that there are solutions to helping the butterfly population, even if we can't stop in the short term the warming climate in Texas? Absolutely. There are things that we can do today, like planting milkweeds, planting native plants that help monarchs at the different stages of their life cycle. I mean, we can see very tangible, real benefits by small little changes that we make every day um, in the way that the plants that we choose to plant in our gardens, you know, planting perennials that are native to Michigan. Um, not only do they provide a food source for monarchs potentially, but they might also, they do a better job at holding the soil. They have deeper root systems. So they don't die off when we have a, a drought, a minor drought in the state. So there's a lot of really good benefits to planting native plants and things that, you know, you'll, you'll see these changes almost dramatically. Taking a small lot in an urban area and planting it with wildflowers, it's amazing how quickly you'll see insects and butterflies appear. Um, all over the city of Detroit, there's just these small gardens where when you walk by on a summer day, you'll see butterflies, insects, moths, all sorts of things flying around in the middle of a major urban area. And so there's these little things that you can do that, um, while in a global sense, may not turn the tide against climate change, they're, they're very important for the longevity of a species like the monarch here in the state of Michigan, but also in the entire eastern United States, for people to think about and be very intentional about you know, what they're planting in their yards and and actually choosing to plant something in the first place. I mean, for so long, there, this this suburban ideal of having this green lawn that you're using all sorts of uh, one herbicides. One evergreen and, bush. <laughs> right, and one evergreen <laughs> bush. Um, that, that type of what we call monoculture, which is all one crop, all turf grass, that is very, very harmful to not only butterflies, but to all sorts of insects that we depend upon. Um, you know, and it's important for people to think about when we're 
talking about thousands of insect species dying off. Um, you know, some people joke and say, well, hey, if mosquitoes die off, I mean, that'd be great. But Wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but think about what that means for the overall ecosystem. You know, you have amphibians, frogs that eat mosquitoes. You have bats, mammals that eat mosquitoes. And, then, and, and when you think about balance and how all of these things, you know, have evolved over millennia to interact with each other in a way that keeps our ecosystem in balance, and we as humans, we're at the top, the, the, you know, we're, we're at the height of, the, of that ecosystem. And so when there are all of these die-offs and things happening at the lower, lower end in terms of insects and butterflies, you really have to start thinking about, well, okay, what does this mean long-term to the health of our species as humans? And so we just need to be, again, very smart and intentional about the choices that we're making in our everyday lives because they can have very, very significant impacts on the rest of the ecosystem. That was Nick Schreck. He's an environmental law professor here at Wayne State University and my go-to environmental <laughs> guy. Stephen, did I convince you that you need to go plant a bunch of milkweed inside your apartment, maybe? I don't know about <laughs> milkweed. That's, there's something about that name that just rubs me the wrong way. Well, I get you, the urgency you, here. Yes. But. Come on, Stephen. <laughs> I'll well, do my part. I'll give you a pass because you don't have a front yard. I don't a have a front yard, but I do over <laughs> a uh, tuxedo. All right. I'll plant milkweed for you in my yard. <laughs> I, Double I, the milkweed. I, will, I would appreciate that. Uh, so we're really hoping to do a regular environmental segment. If you have environmental questions that you'd like to submit uh, that I tackle here on the program, please go to our Facebook page or you can email me lweber at wdet.org. Uh, I'd love to hear your environmental questions as well. So please do that. And later today, I'll also be posting a really cool video that WDET's Amy Miller took in Ontario of a monarch caterpillar turning into a chrysalis. Which, if you think that's a time-lapse video over a couple hours, you'd be wrong. They turn into a chrysalis over about a, a one-minute span of time. So it's a really intense, amazing video. <laughs> I'll post it up on our Facebook page later so you can see it. All right. Very cool. Next, we are going to talk about this weekend's Detroit Jazz Festival. Chris Collins, the president and artistic director, is here. Stay with us on Detroit Today. <laughs> 